Now, uh, last week we were in chapter 1, and uh, we looked at the fact that uh, God is right in his justice. And uh, we need, we love to hear about God being a God of love, but God is also a God of wrath. And we need God to be both in our lives. Because without God's wrath, we would be all hopeless, lost in our sin. God poured out his wrath upon his son, Jesus, on the cross. It was where God's love and God's wrath intersected for you and I. God loved us so much that he had to go to the cross and die for us. And it's in his death that he experienced the wrath of God upon himself. And God paid, Jesus paid for the consequences of our sin. And uh, God can, we looked at the fact that uh, God sets the rules for for our lives. Uh, he is the creator. And as the creator, he writes the instruction book and shows us how we are to live our lives, and shows us his standard, uh, what he expects for our life. And without without his rules, and without him uh, watching over those rules and keeping track of our lives, if, if God is just a permissive God, and just turns his face, turns his back on sin... You know what? We're going to live in a world of uh, chaos and confusion and anarchy. We want God to be a God of justice. God has given us rules to protect our lives, to bless our lives if we live within those rules, within the fence of, uh, of God's love and protection. I remember growing up as a kid in Fresno, and uh, we had a house that uh, we had a, a fence around our backyard. And I remember as as a child, I was probably two or three years old, I don't know. But I would be, I would look through the knot holes on the other side of the fence because there were some bigger kids than me. And they always got together and played. And I was always curious about what they were doing. So I would run from knot hole to knot hole or from the space in between the fence, you know, the, the, the boards. And I would be looking over there, seeing what they were doing and just wanting to be with them. But I was t- far too little to be on the other side of that fence and play with the bigger kids. But I would come into the house and I would have splinters all over my nose and on my cheek uh, because I was so curious about what was on the other side of the fence and what the bigger kids were doing. Well, as we read the Old Testament, as we look at the, uh, the Pentateuch and uh, the book of Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we, we uh, read about the children of Israel. And they were a stiff-necked people whom God had to lead by the hand for 40 years. 
and in those 40 years, God provided for them every single day. I mean, he provided the cloud by day, which was the shade, which was very necessary in the heat of the desert. We understand what that's like, living in the desert. And God was also the pillar of fire at night, keeping the children of Israel warm uh, by the kil- uh, pillar of fire at night. He did that for 40 consecutive years. He fed them every single day. They didn't have a Walmart or a Ross or a Marshalls to go go to to shop for their their clothes. And the reason why is because they didn't need clothes. They wore the same clothes for 40 consecutive years and it never wore out. And God told Israel as they were about to go into the promised land in 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 book of Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 32, you know that these things that God had provided for these last 40 years, they're they're going to go away. And I'm going to be here you know, I'm giving you the the tabernacle, which represents my pre- my presence. I'm going to be your God, but I'm not as going to be as visible as I have been for these last forty years. And as you go into this promised land that I'm giving you, there's neighbors, there are people living there that I want you to drive out, and make sure you drive all of them out. Because you are going to be tempted to look on the other side of the fence. And you're going to long for what your neighbors are doing. And God tells Israel very specifically, do not do it. Because it is going to destroy your life. Israel goes into the promised land, and guess what Israel does? They long to participate in what their enemies are doing, and it was destroying their lives. And God warned them, if you disobey, I am going to pronounce judgment on you. And God did. Now, God didn't do it overnight. The Bible says that God took 800 years. He was a very patient God. He was, he was kind. He was long-suffering. He sent prophets and judges to let them know, don't do these things. And they would get the message for a while, but then they would go back to their old ways. And then after 800 years, the day of the Lord came. The temple was destroyed and the best of the best of Israel were hauled off to Babylon. They were conquered by the Babylonians. And last week we looked at Lamentation chapter 1 verse 18. And Jerusalem says, you are right in your justice, God, because we have rebelled against your law. And so we looked last week at why God is right in his justice. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at suffering. Um, <clears throat> Judah is suffering because of their rebellion. And 
oftentimes, you and I suffer because of poor decisions that we've made. We've, we've rebelled against God. And, and uh, we experience the consequences of those poor choices. And if that's describing you this morning, I, I want you to listen closely this morning. If that's the reason why you're suffering, because you know you've done wrong. Now, for the others of you, if you're suffering, but you haven't done anything wrong, you can't think of, of you think that God's angry with you this morning, and you can't fathom why he's angry with you, and, and you're suffering. I want you to come back next week, and if you know people who are, are going through that situation right now, they're suffering and they haven't done anything wrong, that's what Lamentations chapter 3 is about next week. But Lamentations 2 is Jerusalem. Judah knows that they are guilty. And what does God have to say? What does God do um, with, with, with Judah? Let's look at verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then skip to verse 9. Verse 1 says, How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand. In the face of the enemy, he has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughters of Judah, mourning and lamentation. Look at verse 9. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her kings and princes are among the nations. The law is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion is sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth and young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. 
They cry to their mothers where is bread and wine as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. All that we see here, church, has been initiated, has been instigated by God. He didn't permit it. He caused it. And not because he wanted to, but because he was forced to. And I want to remind us of the sovereignty of God. God is behind every event that occurs in our life. And either he has initiated this event or he has permitted it. And God can do so because he is God. He is the creator, the author of life, and he has written the rules, the standard. And as long as we live within those standards that he has given us, God says that he will promise and protect us. Look at verse 16 and 17. All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry. We have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we long for. Now we have it, we see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. And so this morning, we're going to talk about suffering. If you're wondering why you're suffering this morning, let these words encourage you. When suffering reigns in your life, the first thing you need to do is you need to ask, am I to blame? Am I to blame for my suffering? Because sometimes when life is falling apart around us, it's because of a heart we fought, we've followed a heart of, of greed or lust or anger or unbelief, rebellion. And that heart that we have followed, it just wasn't just a one-time event, but it's become a habit in your life. And now today you are reaping the consequences of those choices. And you're suffering. And you have no one to blame but yourself. And how does God feel? Verse 1 says that God is angry. God was angry 
with Jerusalem and God can get angry with us. And the reason why he was angry with Jerusalem is because they had for so long forsaken their God. And it wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction on God's part. God has been very patient for 800 years. And God has been patient with you. But the consequences of those choices now is they are being treated like an enemy of God. Here's Jerusalem, Judah. They are the, they have been the apple of God's eyes. And now they are being treated like an enemy. And God will do the same for his children. It's not punishment, it is discipline. And maybe you're suffering this morning because of a rebellious heart. And sometimes that suffering can be really harsh. Look at the extensiveness of God's harshness on his children. What is described in chapter 2 is very offensive. In fact, it's horrific. Look at verse 20. Look, O Lord, and see with whom you have dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priests and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? You know, when I looked at that verse, I thought, it really isn't saying what I think it's saying. Surely it's just a metaphor. But no, God warned the children of Israel before they entered the promised land. If you do what your enemies are doing in sacrificing their children to their idols, Moloch and Baal, if you do those things, you will be eating the fruit of your womb. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 52 through 57. God says, this will happen to you. And now we see in verse 20, 800 years later, mothers and fathers eating the fruit of their womb. Cannibalism. This is a desperate situation. And God has allowed it to happen because of Judah's rebellion. Those are hard words to swallow. But that's what God does when he lets people have their own way. 
that leads me to a bit of a detour. Folks, when it comes to our theology, we need to allow room for the wrath of God in our lives. Because if we don't allow room for God's wrath, that that God can do these things, our faith is going to be sabotage. God does get angry and God does go silent. And the big deal about this is that we need to teach it to our children. God is a God of love. And we love to talk about the God of love, but God is also a God of of justice and wrath. And if our children don't understand this, and they grow up and they graduate and they go to a secular university, their, their faith is going to be hammered over and over again because professors are going to go to texts like this. If your God is a God of love, he wouldn't allow things of this nature to take place. And how are they going to defend that? What are they going to say? I've got this little video I want to share with you. I've shared it before, and uh, it's a good reminder. So let's, let's, uh, let's turn off the lights and watch this minute-and-a-half video right now. Well, read the words because it's German and uh, you wouldn't understand it anyway. Okay, we got to turn the alarm off or we're going to start over. Sorry, guys. Can we start the video over? ich euch beweisen, dass Gott, wenn es ihn gibt, böse ist. Hat Gott alles, was existiert, erschaffen? Wenn Gott alles erschaffen hat, dann hat er auch das Böse geschaffen. Das bedeutet, Gott ist böse. Herr Professor, existiert Kälte? Was für eine Frage soll das sein? Natürlich existiert die Kälte. War euch noch nie kalt? Nein, in der Tat, Herr Professor, die Kälte existiert nicht. Nach den Gesetzen der Physik ist das, was wir als kalt empfinden, nur das Fehlen von Wärme. Und existiert Dunkelheit, Herr Professor? Selbstverständlich existiert sie. Nein, sie ist nur das Fehlen von Licht. Wir können das Licht messen, aber die Dunkelheit nicht. Das Böse existiert nicht, genau wie die Kälte und die Dunkelheit. Gott hat das Böse nicht geschaffen. Es ist das Ergebnis dessen, was Gottes Hand noch nicht berührt hat. Pretty smart little kid, huh? We see the evil that's taking place in this passage of scripture. We see the evil that's in the world today because 
society has removed God from the equation. And when we remove God from culture, all that's left is our depraved minds and hearts. And man can do the unfathomable. Because his heart is so vile. His heart is so very wicked. And that is what's happened in this passage of scripture. God has given Judah over the desire of their heart. They removed him from their land. And again, God was very patient in this. He doesn't have a a short fuse, a short temper. He was patient. He was kind. And for a lot of people, they interpret that as God being permissive. No, he's not permissive. He wants to woo us back with his kindness. His kindness can lead us to repentance. His kindness isn't meant for us to be continue to do what we're doing, thinking that we can pull the wool over God's eyes that he doesn't see. Paul says, beware. God is not mocked. And there may very well be a day of the Lord in your life. Just like what's been described here in Lamentations chapter 2. And he is just. He is just in his behavior. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He is the same God today as he is in Lamentations chapter 2. And in our nation. You know, when 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina uh, came through years ago, there was a uh, group of pastors who um, spoke with uh, with our president at the time. And he said, these pastors said, Mr. President, these things have occurred in our nation due to God's judgment. Because of the things that we're allowing in our nation. Particularly when it comes to abortion. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 43 says, Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. I don't think that today is any accident in it being the Sanctity of Life Sunday. 
And God has a word for all of us this morning. And for Judah, they're suffering because they have, they have rebelled against God's word. Ask yourself, is the reason why you're suffering this morning because of a rebellious heart? Am I to blame? Then number two, if you're suffering, you need to remember God's motivation is love. It is all about his love and what he's doing or allowing to happen in your life. And the reason why it's love is because he doesn't want you to be enslaved to sin. He wants you to be free from sin, from the consequences of sin. And the Bible is very clear whom God loves, he disciplines. He disciplines his children because he loves them. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I didn't read to you Hebrews chapter 12. Can you turn me down a little bit, Ron? I think I'm a little hot. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 5, says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly fathers we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees because what you're going through is all because God loves you. So if there's any consolation in in your suffering this morning, if there's any consolation in Judah's suffering this morning, just know that God is behind all of it and God is doing it because he loves his children. And yes, it's tough love. I mean, I, I don't... I can't imagine love getting any tougher than this in Lamentations chapter 2. And sometimes that's what we need to do with our children, is we need to exercise tough love, especially as they become adults. There's there's sometimes, you know, that uh, 
as parents, we just love them so much and we just want to provide, you know, to uh, help them in all the mistakes they've made, help them, bail them out of jail because we don't want them to suffer the consequences of life. And that's not really love. That's enablement. That's permitting them to continue to do what they're doing. And if we really love them, we would do the hardest thing and say, no, I can't help you anymore. You have to suffer the consequences of your decision. And that breaks our heart. Just like it has broken the heart of God. God is angry. But it is a righteous and loving anger. He wants to see his children come back to him. And as horrific as the events are in Lamentations chapter 2. God has turned them over to the desires of their heart. And you know what God is doing in this nation of ours? He is turning the hearts of people over the desires of their hearts. And all chaos is breaking loose. And to be honest, we're just scratching the surface. Look at our police officers today. How they fear going to work and doing their job. How many articles have we read about police officers trying to be do good and are ambushed and shot and killed in the head? If police officers can't do their job, all hell's going to break, break loose in this nation. And all these things are happening because God is turning people's hearts over to the desires of their heart. They've stopped listening to him. There is no fear of authority. So if you're suffering, are you to blame? And if you're suffering, just know that God is doing it in his love for you. It's tough love, but it's love. Which brings us to number three. You need to repent. And God will hear. I promise you, God will hear. And here's the hope of Lamentations chapter 3. As difficult as this passage is, here's the hope. Verse 19. Arise. Cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night, watches. Pour out your heart like water. 
before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every seat street. Look up. Cry out to God. Look to the constellation. Jeremiah is telling Jerusalem, look up, look up to the sky, look up at the heavens, what God has created. Pour out your heart to him because the God who created the heavens and the earth, he's going to hear your prayer. And that same consolation that Judah was looking up to 2,400 years ago, is the same constellation, is the same God, the same creator that we have the opportunity to look up to as well. God has not changed. God will never change. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if you're suffering this morning, friend, God loves you and God wants you to repent. And he is the only God. He is the one and only God who can and will hear your prayer. He is not a God that is made with hands. He is not a God that we have uh, have have uh, created in a figment of our imagination. No, God is real. And God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He showed us, Jesus showed us who God is. And he loved us so much that he came to planet earth and lived in our mess. And the amazing thing about God is that he was tempted in all the areas that we were tempted in, that we have fallen to. Jesus was tempted as well, but he resisted. He was without sin. And the Bible says that he went to the cross in our place, blameless. He didn't deserve to die. He chose to die. Taking our sin upon himself. And so when you cry out to God, just understand He gets it. The Bible says he is our great high priest who has gone through all the temptations that we've been through, yet without sin. We can approach him with confidence, grace and humility, humble, but we can approach him with confidence, knowing that he is going to hear our prayer. Are you suffering this morning because of poor choices that you've made? Does verse 14 describe where you're at this morning. Look at verse 14 of Lamentations. It's Lamentations 2. Well, I, yes, Lamentations chapter 1. 
we didn't read this first last week, but Lamentations 1.14 says, My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fashioned together, they were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. Are you tired this morning? Cry out to him. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'm going to give you a different yoke. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. When we rebel, when we live selfishly, when we live by our heart's desires, which aren't godly, it's a yoke that wears us out. And God wants to free you from that. God wants you to come to Jesus. And for you to find freedom, for you to find forgiveness, you need to lament over your sin. Have you lamented over your sin? This is what Jeremiah tells Judah to do. Maybe it's lamenting for the first time and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter what you've done. God knew it before you were going to do it. And God's here this morning saying, my love is big enough for that sin. My grace, my love far, far exceeds your sinfulness. His love is higher, it is broader, it is deeper, it is longer than your mind, your infinite mind can ever imagine. And he loves you. He is crazy about you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He wants you. Lament your sin and know that Jesus died for it and come into relationship with him. And for others of you, maybe you need to lament one more time. And maybe this is the hundredth time. That's okay. You lament. And as you lament, remember Life, the Christian life, is a life of repentance. It doesn't happen just one time. We have constant, we have constantly, need to constantly repent of our sin, live a life of repentance. Because Jesus wants to set us free. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger lasts only for a moment but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. 
Stop suffering. Start getting honest with God. God wants to set you free. God sees your future. And the Bible says that God wants to give you a future and a hope. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know where God made that promise? God made that promise, the children of Judah in the land of Babylon, while they were still in slavery. My friend, if you're in slavery this morning because of the choices that you've made, repent. Come to God. There is a throne in heaven where Jesus sits, where he is full of grace and mercy and restoration. Come to the throne before it's too late, because one day it will be too late. When Jesus returns, he's not coming coming back as a savior. He's coming back, the Bible says, as king and as a judge. But right now, God wants you to come home to him. Let's pray. Father, this was not an easy message to share this morning. And Lord, you know each person in this room. Some of them are suffering. And some because of the attitude of their heart. And God, you're not holding back. And these things are occurring in their life because you're trying to get their attention. God, you're trying to get our attention as a nation. And we're not listening to you. And poor choices continue to be made. Father, may we repent. May I repent. God, I need to be more vocal about an issue like abortion. About other cultural sins and let people know where I stand and be a person of both truth and grace, just like Jesus. Show me how to do that. But God, if there's one here this morning that needs to repent, whether it be the first time or the hundredth time, may they do so. Would you please stand? Would all of us please stand? We're going to sing this, this song before the throne.
if this morning you need to pray with someone in this during this this time of invitation, we want to just encourage you to go to the dining hall, and we're here for you. Oh, just know we're not here to judge anyone this morning. We are all sinners saved by grace. The ground is level at the cross. So don't be self-conscious and think, well, what are my neighbors going to say if I dismiss myself and go to the dining hall? They're going to rejoice. They're going to pray for you. We are here for you. And so if you need prayer this morning, as we worship, as we come before his throne this morning, see one of us in the dining hall. We want to pray with you this morning. Let's worship.